You are listening to audio from Community Bible Church. If you would like to find out more information about us, please visit us at cbcsavannah.com. Just a reminder, um, as you're getting your seat, uh, today, if you're a member of CBC, uh, today you're gonna get an email this afternoon. It's an opportunity for you to uh, recommit. We're, we're gonna do these about every two years, uh, just a renewal of membership. Uh, and so uh, you should get an email that looks something like this this afternoon. Um, it's just kind of very straightforward. Uh, if you can fill it out, there's plenty of opportunities for you to update uh, information, um, to let us know some thoughts. There's a place to leave some thoughts, uh, know where you're at, if you're in a group, all those things. And so if you are a member and you don't get this email today, there's, two op- there's one of two options. Number one, you're not really a member and you think you are. Um, and that's fine, because we have star here's and we wanna, we wanna move you to committing to this local fellowship, right? That, that's, it's, that, you know, I, that's a heart of ours, that we will know those people who are here that are running with us, that are on, on mission with us, uh, so we can care and shepherd for, for y'all well as elders and as pastors and as staff. And so um, that's important to us. But if you don't, if you don't get an email, you, you are either not a member or you might have unsubscribed at one point from something, and so no longer are you getting emails from us, okay? So uh, if that's the case, you can, you can contact Tim Doan. His email uh, is on the website. He's kind of our co- connections director, and he, uh, he, he can get you plugged back in there. But uh, we'd ask you just to fill it. It won't take you long to do this. Just fill it out quickly um, so that we can kind of start getting this, gathering this information, have an updated list of who our members are, where y'all live, um, and, and it helps us with vision and, and where we're going and if we're church planning here or whatever. So it's just gonna be a, help, a lot of helpful information. But also it's just an opportunity for you to put your yes down again and say, yeah, I'm in. I wanna be the church with y'all. And so we're excited about the outcome of this. So, um, so please get that today. Um, all right, Genesis chapter 27. You have a Bible, go ahead and turn there. Well, tonight's a big game. Someone will be crowned champion. About three of you probably care. Well, if you're like most of us, we watch for the commercials, which is not even any fun anymore because I think this is what happens when millennials are in charge. They put them all the commercials out and, and before the game so you don't have to watch the game. I don't even have to watch the game. I can watch all the commercials. They're already out on YouTube. So you can skip the game, skip the food, you know, just go watch the commercials. Uh, but having been here a couple years ago where the game actually did matter and the best Super Bowl ever, um, <laughs> one city tonight will be ecstatic right? People in the street setting fires to cars. That's what we did, you know. Maybe your city's different. Uh, another city will be devastated, right? Hoping for next year. Uh, one city, one team is going to Disney World. The other team is going home with their heads hung low. And, and there'll be all sorts of questions, because I've been on the other end of this thing too a couple times, right? What happened? And, and so they're going to go back to and watch the tape, and they're going to ask what could we have done different? And, and what, maybe if we did this, maybe if we did that. It, all these what ifs as they sit in the locker room kind of just asking what happened uh, in the aftermath of a great defeat. And, and as I think about that, because that's going to happen tonight, this, this text is kind of that. It's the aftermath of a great defeat. They're, and they're just kind of there then. Uh, and originally when we, again, we had mapped this out, as I was studying this this week, I was like, man, we should have kind of put some of this from la- on the last week's sermon and then Clint can take next week's sermon and add a little bit because it's a very transitional passage. And, and, and at first couple reading through, I'm like, what am I gonna do with this text? Okay, there'll be a 12-minute sermon, we're out, right? 
But the more I read it, and then we got in our pastor's meeting this week and we're kind of talking through, I was like, man, there's, these, there's a lot of great things in this little transitional passage. There's a lot of great questions to ask of them and of us as they sit in the aftermath of a great defeat. So what we're gonna do today is I'm gonna ask you some questions. Questions just kind of dug out of this text. And I'm not gonna give you the answers because it's something you gotta answer. And, and the goal here is for you just to be honest with yourself because you're not fooling, and you may be fooling some people, but you're not feeling God, fooling God. Don't, don't answer the question for your kids, for your spouse, for the people in, in your row. Answer the question for you, right? Because these are great things to think about, whether you're in a great place or not, just in evaluating your life, right? Especially, though, in the middle of a aftermath of defeat. These are great questions. But, so we're gonna look at these, these, uh, this, this little passage. It's not long. We're gonna go all the way to chapter 28, verse nine. Here's where we've been. If you're visiting... Uh, if you're a guest of ours today, or if this is your first time, or, or you kind of missed the last couple of weeks, is that God has a plan, right? He's, he's, he's doing what he set out to do. He is going to deliver. He's going to do it through Abraham and then Isaac and then Jacob and all the way down to, to the Messiah, Jesus. But, but Isaac, last week we saw, he's trying to circumvent the plan. He wants his oldest to be the blessed one. He wants Esau. And so Jacob, the youngest, under the influence of his mama, steals the blessing, pretends to be his brother, it just brings this chaotic situation to the house where everyone is miserable. They set in motion things that are gonna ride over their lives for a long time. Uh, it leaves Isaac shaking, he's trembling, he's so upset. Esau's crying, begging his dad to bless him. Jacob's probably hiding, we don't know, but he's probably not walking around. This is a mess. It's a mess, it's the aftermath of a defeat. Yet God is still in this. So let's pick up in verse 41 right after what happened last week. Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are approaching and I will kill my brother Jacob. And so you have Esau raging. But he's, he's thinking, okay, I'm gonna buy my time. Dad's almost dead. And then I will take out Jacob. And, and in case you're wondering, no one's, no one's thinking that, that this is gonna be a good fight for, any, for Jacob. All right, Jacob's the underdog here. This is, you know... Ron Swanson and uh, G John Ralphio, for those of you who are Parks and Rec, okay? Yeah, so, so some of you have no clue that is. That's all right. But this is not gonna be a good fight, right? Esau's going to smoke him. He's going to kill him. And, and he is not hiding this, right? He, it's not exactly a secret. Verse 42, the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebecca. So he's talking about this whether she's got spies or he's just bragging on it, whatever. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said, behold, Esau, your brother, comforts himself about you by planning to kill you. Think of the language there. One, one translation says he's consoling himself. He's, he's thinking about it. He goes to bed and he's, he's picturing his hands around his scrawny little throat. He's fantasizing about this and he's finding comfort Right? That brings him comfort to think and daydream about when he gets to kill his brother. Right? And so mama warns him, and then she's got a plan. Verse 43. She says, Now therefore, 
my son, obey my voice. Last time she said that, it didn't go well. Arise, flee to Laban, my brother, in Haran, and stay with him for a while until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns away from you, and he forgets what you have done to him. Then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereft of you both in one day? And so a couple of revealing things there. Whenever you're, there's chaos and whether there's a big defeat and just uh, the aftermath, a couple typical things go on in this passage and go on in our lives. Number one, the blame game happens. Notice her language, right? She says, until your brother's fury turns from you, until your brother's anger turns away from you, and he forgets what you've done to him. You, if I'm not remembering correctly, who's the one that was raiding Esau's closet and killing the goats and goading me on to do this whole thing? And she's like, oh, you did this. So there's a little bit of a blaming game going there. Oh, he'll, 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 one day he'll forget what you've done. But then there's a, a selfish piece here too, which is often what happens when you're in the locker room. You're thinking, what happened? It's your fault, it's your fault, it's your fault. Right? She's, she's got some shallow, selfish thinking. She is ignoring the fact that she wounded terribly her son. His response wrong, clearly. But she, she was responsible and dismissive of the pain. And all she's thinking about is herself. Why should I be bereft of you both? Because if he kills Jacob, then he's gonna have to run off and we're gonna have to go chase him and kill him. So all she's thinking about in all this is still herself. Me, right? Me, 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 me. Your fault, me. And then she goes to her husband. She hasn't learned her lesson. Rebecca said to Isaac, I loathe my life because of the Hittite women. All right, she's saying, I'm depressed, I'm miserable. She's talking about Esau's wives who haven't even been part of this discussion. And if Jacob, she, he says to Isaac, if Jacob marries one of these Hittite women, like these, one of the women of the land, what good will my life be to me? She's saying, I would rather be dead than him marry Hittites like Esau. Now what she's doing is the very thing she did last week. She's manipulating, she's scheming. Right? She doesn't go to her husband and say, look, Esau's mad at Jacob. We gotta do something now. You need to bring him in. We need to have a family meeting. We need to talk. He listens to you. He doesn't listen to me. None of that. She goes around and makes up this, this well, my life is so miserable. And she's playing a card. She's playing the if mama ain't happy, no one's happy card. She's saying, Isaac, you think I'm miserable now. If we don't do something, you're gonna, you're gonna hate living with me, son. And he's already blind and old. He's thinking, oh, well, okay, whatever you want. Because he don't wanna deal with it, right? And, and what we see here, we got Esau responding one way to this aftermath. We got Rebecca responding one way to this aftermath. Really, they're after the same thing. It's just looking different. They're both after comfort, for Esau, he's comforted by his anger and his rage. For Rebecca, she's comforted by being in control and being, being manipulative and thinking that she can take this and this and this. Both are wrong. They're both seeking comfort in something else, right, where they should be going. But here's the question. Here's question number one for you to answer. Where are you seeking comfort today, right? What, what are you looking for in, in the midst of an aftermath especially? Where do you go? When you've been wronged. Right? When you, are you, you get sideways, everything goes sideways and all of a sudden you get angry. Are you, you've been divorced three years, four years and you're still looking for a way to one more jab, one more stick it to the man, come out on top. Someone steals your idea at work and so you, you're gonna figure out how you can do this, fantasizing about what you're gonna say at that next fight, what you're gonna do here. Right? 
you're gonna, you're gonna destroy, you're gonna hurt someone, but it's not gonna be them, it's probably gonna be you, right? That's not, there's no comfort there. There's no, there's no rest there. As a follower of Jesus, he tells us, I mean, it's not easy, he tells us how to respond. What does he say? He says, you've been, you've been told to love your neighbor and hate your enemies. I tell you to pray for your enemies, to love them, because you're gonna prove yourself sons of God, right? That's, that's the idea. Romans, Paul says this about how to handle wrongdoing. Repay no one evil for evil. Give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so as far as it depends on you, live peaceable with all. Beloved, never avenge yourself. Leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. See, that, there's comfort there, because you know God will be fair. God will be just. You know what? You will not be just. You think, yeah, I'll be just. No, you won't. You're gonna, pull the, you're gonna do the Chicago way from the untouchables. They pull a knife, you pull a gun. They send one of yours to the hospital, you send them to the morgue. That's the Chicago way. That's what you do. That's what I do. We don't want fair. We want one up, right? See, that, that's where there's rest. That's where there's comfort. Or, or maybe, you're, so maybe that's you and you're the one that angers your, well, you get comfortable as you just let people know what you think. Or maybe you're like Rebecca and you just try to control, manipulate. Are you, is she really in control here? She thinks, oh, you're just gonna be gone a couple days, 20 years later. She's not even alive anymore. She's not in control. Because she doesn't really deal with the root of the situation, right? The root of the situation is everyone in this family lies. And she just covers it up. She, she runs from the conflict. Some of you, that's all in your life. When, when the chaos happens, you don't want to talk about why. You just want to cover it up and move on to the next thing. Some of you do that with conflict in your, in your marriages, in your, in your family. Right? You don't want to talk about it. Because you hate conflict. I hate conflict. But that's not the way to find ultimate peace and rest. You gotta deal with it. This is why the scripture says don't go to bed angry. Because, and, and anyone who's married knows this, because men can go to sleep in three minutes and they will wake up eight hours later and everything will be fine and they'll look over at their wife and she'll be sitting there saying, are we ready to talk about this now? <laughs> and you thought, I go to bed. It's a restart. We hit reset. That's not the way it works. Right? So, so again, the question, where do you go for comfort? When things go sideways, you drown out your sorrows with a couple extra glasses of vino, a couple pills, a little Amazon therapy, dress in a way that makes you be noticed, even though you know it's probably not appropriate, act in a certain way. They're all functional saviors. It's just a question you gotta ask. It's something you gotta wrestle with. Where do you go when, when the chaos hits. What do you run to? Just be honest, right? Be honest with yourself. That's question number one. We'll continue on. Next passage, next passage, chapter 28. And Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and directed him, you must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. Arise, go to Padan Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father. Take as your wife from there, one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. He says, I went there and got your mama, so you go and marry one of your cousins, Right, which is very Kentucky, I know. Um, I, I usually pick on West Virginia, so I'll pick on Kentucky now. Uh, he, go marry, go get a wife from our family. He actually gets two, he marries two sisters, it's not really his fault, but it ends up being very interesting. We'll see this in a couple weeks, right? So he's gonna go, and then he blesses him. Verse three, God Almighty bless you. 
make you fruitful and multiply you and may you become a company of peoples. May he give the blessing of Abraham to you, to your offspring with you, that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. So he is probably the only one in this whole passage that's on God's program now. He's blessing the one he's supposed to be blessing. He's going back to what God said to him, to his dad. He's, but which, here's, here's the question I have. I mean, this is what it kind of bothers me is here's a guy who has been a slime ball. There's been nothing redeeming about Jacob in this entire passage. And here, God is once again blessing his socks off. The El Shaddai, would bless, God Almighty is, is the name there, the sovereign God who provides and protects abundantly. May he bless you. He's not, he's not very blessable, is he? But see, that's the point. How in the world can God bless people like this? And how in the world can God use people like this? And I think the answer is, because what else does God have to work with? I mean, really. My, one of my kids came home last week and, and somebody at their school said, you know, I didn't realize your dad was famous. I was like, either did I. <laughs> if this is fame, wow. There's this, there's this myth, if you only knew the brokenness in my life, in my heart, right? And I think we gotta all come there. That reason I think some of us have a problem with why would God bless is because we think we're better than we are. And until we realize that we are just like Jacob, we will never grasp the grace of God. This is why kind of one of my, my ministry verse is, is 2 Corinthians 4, 7. We have this treasure, the treasure of the gospel in jars of clay. Okay, breakable things that leak. Why? To show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Because if it, if it was me, then I could take some glory. But see, the, that's the brokenness that points to it's certainly not Jacob. In fact, Romans 9 talks about how the reason why Jacob gets chosen is because of God's election. Nothing else. He said he did it before they had done any deeds. It was all based on God's sovereignty. The reason God can use a wretch like me is, is so that he gets the glory and not me. Because it's like, oh, that clearly is not Fowler. That's the point. That's grace. Right? That is the grace of God. And I think sometimes we have a hard time with God's grace on other people. Not on us. But we, we see God blessing other people. Right? But here's the second question for us. All right? Just thinking about this grace. Is how do you respond to it in your life? To God's grace on you. Not to other people. I mean, some of us of the more legalistic bent, we have a problem with God forgiving and, and God rescuing. But I don't think that's as much our issue anymore. I think if I had to put our finger on where we are with grace, I think we abuse it. Maybe it's just our church, I don't know. But I think we are a little bit free with it. And here's what I mean. I think some of us believe I'm under grace, which is true, praise God. That means I can go do whatever I want. So I can go, Sleep with what I want, party how I want, spend my money how I want, train wreck my life however I want, but I'm under grace, baby, so woo! No consequences. I can be slimy. I can leave my spouse if I want. I'm under grace. And, and I'm not downing the grace of God. The grace of God forgives all sin. There's no sin that is beyond. We sing the song, there's a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunged beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains. Praise God. But that doesn't mean we are to go now 
and abuse the grace of God. And it doesn't mean, here you, you have to understand this, just because you are forgiven of something doesn't mean the consequences are fixed. The gospel forgives us of our sin, but it doesn't always fix the, de the decisions we make. Here's, I mean, an easy example, if I go out, get drunk tonight, get a DUI, smash into someone's car, injure someone, I can be forgiven of that, but the consequences remain. You marry someone you know you're not supposed to marry. You can be forgiven of any sin, but the consequences are there, right? And you can go down the line. You are promiscuous before marriage with multiple people. You can be forgiven of that, of course, but you may never forget that face. That may affect intimacy in your marriage. You gotta know these things, right? There is a reaping and sowing and this is why Paul says for us in Romans 6, should we continue to sin so that grace abounds? No. We're supposed to be dead to it. Do we still do it? Yes, but we confess our sins. He is faithful and just forgive us. But we're to flee with it. Then we don't abuse the grace of God. And so I think that's why we talk about walking worthy of the Lord, walking worthy of our calling, walking worthy of the gospel, all these things. It doesn't mean we're earning it. It just means we're living in light of. So how do you respond to grace, right? It, I think it's a good question for us to ask, um, a good question um, for you to, to wrestle with a little bit uh, as you kind of go through your week. Because let me just tell you, Jacob is blessed, praise God. His name is going to be changed to Israel, praise God. But his chickens are gonna come home to roost because his deceitfulness and his sliminess, his uncle Laban is gonna do the same thing to him that he did to his brother. It's just the way it is, right? So we, we just think about how do you respond to the grace of God in your life? Where do you run for comfort, right? Let's continue on, verse five. Then Isaac said to J sent Jacob away and he went to Padamaram to Laban, the son of Bethuel, the Arminian, the brother of Rebekah, Jason, uh, Jacob and Esau's mother. Now Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Padamaram to take a wife from there. And that as he blessed him, he directed him, you must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. And that Jacob had obeyed his father and his mother and had gone to Bedan Aram. So when Esau saw that the Canaanite women did not please Isaac, his father, Esau went to Ishmael and took as his wife, besides the wives he had, Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nebioth or something. And so you get a very interesting thing here. So it, Here's what I did. I didn't have a chance to develop this a couple weeks ago. It's really easy to think Jacob and Esau are like teenagers right now, right? Here's, when you do the math, though, here's what you come up with. They're in their 70s, okay? So it's, they're collecting social security here, right? And he's, his mama's still telling old boy what to do. Esau has been married for 37 years. Jacob is a bachelor, 70-year-old bachelor, okay? So this is not like little guys like running around and mommy's telling them. They're men. They're grown men, their grand, they should, their grandfather's ages, right? And so, uh, but yet this is the first time Isaac says anything about who they should marry. It's very interesting. And, I, and it's the, I think it's the first time they ever heard it in their life because look at Esau's response. He's like, dad blessed Jacob and said, don't marry a Canaanite. And he wants to please his dad. I mean, this is this heartbreaking to me because here's a guy, we give Esau a hard time. He's already been torn up last week and he just wants his dad's affirmation. 
So what does he do? Jake, oh, I, should, I, I need to marry someone in the family. So he goes and he gets one of Ishmael. Ishmael is Abraham, his other son, and he marries an Ishmaelite, which it's not the blessed side of the family. It's not the family that, that God's saying, this is, this is where I'm moving, but at least he's going in the family now. It's as this guy's craving his dad's affection. But here's my bigger question for us. Why is it that these kids don't hear about this until they're in their 70s? What has Isaac been doing? I mean, you don't have to tell them when they're eight years old, but certainly when they're 18, hey, we're gonna marry in the fam. He hasn't told them anything. He's been lazy. He's really been lazy in teaching his boys. They're collecting their IRAs and they're now finally hearing about you should marry this and you should marry that. And I, and I, again, we don't know all the details here, but here's a question I have. Here's a third question for us. Um, and it's broader than just about marriage, but I think it's an important question to ask, is what are you teaching those who come behind you? It's just a question I'm asking as I'm thinking about as a dad, as a pastor, all these things. What are you teaching? I don't think in our day and age you can be lazy about equipping the next generation. I just don't, I mean, not that you ever should be, because Deuteronomy 6 says you're to be diligent, right? We're to be uh, diligently teaching these things. I don't think it's ever early and too early to start talking about uh, God, sin, the gospel, the cross, obedience, grace, serving, giving your life away, work, all these, all these things. Certainly dating, certainly that, and, and then in the applications of social media and all media, and. I, just, I think we need to be diligent. And I think we need to ask, what are we teaching? Not just verbally teaching, what are we teaching non-verbally as well? Because some of you are teaching your kids and you don't even know it. You're teaching them what it looks like to be a part of a local church, or not. Your commitment to the local church is going to be seen by your children. This is. How you uh, respond to the word of God, do you read the word of God, do you ever teach the word of God? These things are being taught, whether you're saying them or not. Right? How you handle money, how you work, how you treat your spouse, how you treat other people. These are the, these are the I'm not specifically teaching it, but you are teaching it. Right? And I think that we need to ask those questions. And it's not just parents. I'm talking, if you're a college student, what are the high schoolers looking at you and learning? You're a young adult, what are the college students looking at you and learning? Grandparents, you know, what are the almost empty nesters looking to you and learning? All, all the way down the line. We need to be diligent. We need to be helping the single moms in our church, single moms in this neighborhood. We need to be, be just helping train the next generation. This is why our neighborhood ministry, the Dream Campaign and our uh, CBC Neighbors is vital because there's not a lot of equipping going on in the homes. There's not a lot in the churches either. So I just think we have to ask, what are we teaching? Right? I think it's a helpful question. I'm not trying to guilt. I'm not trying to, I'm just, I'm asking myself the question. What are you teaching? Where are you running for comfort? How do you respond to the God's grace? And there's one more question. Uh, and really, it's kind of a summary of this text. Remember there's that scene in the, for those who saw the movie, The Matrix, kind of old movie now. But there's a scene when Neo goes to see the Oracle for the first time. Um, and she's baking cookies and smoking cigarettes. Very interesting scene, right? And, and he walks in, and she says, I'd ask you to sit, but you're not going to anyway. And don't worry about the vase. And as she says that, he says, what vase? And he turns, and he knocks the vase over, and it smashes on the floor, and he's like, oh, I'm sorry, he says. She said, I told you, don't worry about it. 
She says, but here's what really gonna bake your noodle later. Would you have still broken it if I hadn't said anything? And, and what the, I know a lot of you just like the action scenes, right? But what the, the uh, writers of that, of that movie were doing was they were trying to answer these big, deep questions in a creative way. Really, the biggest one is, is reality real? Do your decisions really matter? Right? Is everything, if everything's just preordained, then, then what are we doing? And there, there's some deep philosophical stuff going on here. But for us, it's really part of that age-old question, that age-old debate that some of you just love talking about, is, is the sovereignty of God versus the free will of man. And you just love to talk about it, right? It plays in here, right? If God is moving and doing this anyway, did the decisions of Jacob and Isaac and Rebecca, did they really matter? Does it really matter how they do it? If God has ordained all this, if God is behind us, if God is choosing. And if you think I have the answer to that, I don't have, I don't have the answer. I'm not, and I'm not going to. Yeah, the answer to God, is God sovereign? Is man free will? The answers are yes. You can read about it later. Some, go read some John Piper. Go read some Charles Spurgeon. I don't know. I, I don't think the point for us is to get our arms around that. Um, I have no idea how it works, and either do you. Um, and neither did Paul, by the way, and he's the one that talks about it more than anyone. In fact, here's how he responds after talking about God's sovereignty and his election of, of all these things. He says, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgment, how inscrutable his ways. Who has known the mind of the Lord or has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him all things, to him be glory forever. Paul just says, it's big, it's deep, I don't get it, it's unsearchable, praise God. And that, that's the point, right? So here's my last question for us. As I'm thinking about, I mean, all these things that God is directing, even though man is making a mess of it, but God's hand is still in it. He can still use it for good, and I don't know why and how and all these things, and I don't know how in my life either. But here's the question I have. When you have a God that is this gracious, and he is this powerful, and he is this omniscient, and he is this all uh, omnipotent, and he's immutable, and he's all these things. He's beyond your understanding. You can't grasp him. These are the deep things of God, how he works and ordains and does all these things. When you have a God that big and majestic, that El Shaddai, what is your reaction to a God like this? What do, I mean, what is your reaction? When you hear about that, when you see creation that declares, the heavens declare the glory of God, I think the only proper response is to bow your knee. Because here's the thing. I don't, I don't know where you're at. I don't know where, you know, if you're a first-time guest, if you've never heard the name Jesus before, you've been walking with Jesus for 80 years. I don't know. But here's the thing. Every knee will bow. Okay. The question is, are you going to do it willingly or not? Because this God is awesome. And he is sovereign. And I think the question maybe is even better worded is, am I bowing the knee to God daily? This majestic, awesome God? Am I? How am I responding to his grace? Am I running to him for comfort? Am I training others to know him? They're open-ended questions, I get it. You know the answers, but we don't sometimes. 
I just think that these are things we ought to, as we look at the aftermath of chaos and a big defeat, we ought, to, we ought to sit in those for a while. These are not questions you walk out the door and you're like, done. I mean, these are questions that you should ask during the week. This is gonna be, you're gonna have some good community group discussions this week, I'm pretty sure. Right, because these are, these are life questions. But I think we've got to respond to them. And we're going to, as a church, just in a few minutes, we're going to celebrate the Lord's table. Picture of what Jesus accomplished for us on the cross. This majestic God, this omnipotent, omniscient God, sovereign over all universe. But yet he loved us enough to offer himself. And I think... It's talking about the free will of man and the sovereignty of God a little bit. I think the cross is a perfect picture of both. Because if you ask the question, who is responsible for the death of Jesus? Well, Esau, because the Edomites, there was an Edomite named Herod that put Jesus to death. And the Romans, Pilate, the soldiers, Jacob's descendants, the Jews, the Pharisees, the priests, the people, when they had the option to take Jesus or Barabbas, they said, give us Barabbas, away with this man. Right, they're all responsible for the death of Jesus. I'm responsible. All we like sheep have gone astray. Each one turned to his own way, but the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us. You're responsible. There's free will. You know who else is responsible for the death of Jesus? Jesus. He says to the disciples, no one takes my life from me. I have the authority to lay it down and take it up. Right? He, he goes willingly. He tells Peter, Peter pulls out a sword, cuts off a dude's ear, says, put the sword away, Peter. If I wanted to call 12 legions of angels right now, my father would send them. Jesus is responsible for his death. He goes willingly. And who else is? The father. It was the will of the Lord, Isaiah 53 says, to crush him, Messiah, right? Jesus says, not my will, but your will be done, Father, and he goes to the cross. Romans 8 says, what shall we say of God is for us? Who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son gave him up for us. There's the sovereignty of God. According to the predetermined and foreknowledge of God, he was delivered, right? And it's just, that's, that's why we bow, because this awesome God gave himself that you might have life and have it abundantly. And if you don't know Christ this morning, we would invite, if you have questions, we'd love to talk to you about it. Because that's, that's why God brought you here, so you could hear how his son lived the perfect life and died on a cross for your sins in your place, rose again so that you could have eternal life. And if you're here and you're a believer, we're, gonna, we're just gonna remember that and we're gonna just bask in it. We're gonna ask, do I, what do I do with this grace and where do I run for comfort? And how do I just bow my knee to you, Lord Jesus? So that's what we're gonna do. So as uh, the folks are gonna hand out the elements this morning, the bread representing the body, the cup representing the blood of Christ shed for the forgiveness of sins, they're gonna hand it out. Just, you guys are gonna take it in your seats as you are ready. But spend some time as the team kinda plays music behind and sings a little bit. Spend some time asking some of those questions. Where am I running for comfort? What am I doing with grace? How am I bowing the knee? Spend some time taking serious the substitutionary sacrifice of Jesus, thanking him for that and remembering that. Right? That's what this time is for. And so after you've done that, you take 
in your seat when you feel ready and then we will just continue to sing a few songs and then we'll go. Let me pray and then we'll do this. Father, I thank you for your son, for his offering for our sins, that you would send him, that he would go, that we would uh, take that serious, that we would not neglect such a great salvation, as the writer of Hebrews says, that we would love you as you first loved us. So wherever we're at, Lord, with these, some of these questions, uh, wherever we're at, just our walk, just, just meet us here in this place as we remember what you have done for us. It's in Christ's name I pray.